Hey folks, it's episode 204 time. So in episode 204, I'm going to be speaking with Brian Tuck. He's an attorney. He's actually a professional musician, percussion educator, all around great guy. We're going to be talking about fundraising in the arts. Let's go. Welcome to Funding the Performing Arts podcast. Open and frank discussion about supporting and growing the performing arts, such as instrumental, vocal, drama, dance, marching, and pageantry arts. Really excited to talk to Brian Tuck. Um, reached out and just asked, hey, can I can I just have an hour with you? And I just uh, want to get your thoughts on what some of the performing organizations and nonprofit and arts organizations are doing on a macro level uh, so what, what are the things that are occurring on the symphony orchestra front uh, or on the, uh, the arts and theater side of things? What are some of the things that are happening on the largest, highest level of the creative arts uh, from a fundraising and fund development standpoint? So we wander around a bit. We just sort of hit go <laughs> on the recording. I've known Brian since 1988. Gosh, what is that? Does that make it 40? No, 30 years? That sounds about right, 30 years. Um, so we go back a ways. We met while we were both in high school. We ended up going to the same university. We actually ended up in the same percussion section at, while at, uh, at college. Uh, we both marched in the Crossman German Bugle Corps back in the uh, early 90s, so that was a lot of fun. So we have a lot of shared experiences. We share uh, probably a couple hundred friends in common <laughs> or so. And Brian has always been extremely interested in what we're doing at Fans Raise. And of course, this podcast is, is sponsored and brought to you by Fans Raise. And uh, that's my company. And real quick, in a nutshell, we have created a crowdfunding platform specifically built for the performing arts, which is pretty cool. Because I really believe uh, deep down that the performing arts deserve something a little bit different and something a little bit more tailor fit to their needs. So we're working with approximately 90 uh, at this point, at the, at the date of this recording, uh, which is February 3rd, 2018. We're working with uh, around about 90 ensembles at this point. I don't know how well that's going to age or not. Uh, it could be 10 times that uh, at some point down the line, but uh, working in about 24, 25 states across the country, uh, we're working with little tiny bands, little jazz bands and theater groups and indoor color guards and percussion ensembles, all the way up to these massive uh, drum corps and university um, music programs. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. So one of the things I wanted to do with launching this podcast is just to create a community around funding the performing arts. And, and I think that a lot of the issues that we face in the arts are really universal. So that was really the whole point of this. So anyway, uh, we're going to dive right into the interview now and uh, hope you enjoy it. So you've been busy. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to stay off the streets, stay out of trouble. Yeah. You know how it is. Right. Try not to uh, get in a, too many uh, tight spots. So we're talking to Mr. Brian Tuck. I've known Brian. This will this will probably throw you off a little bit. So we actually met in the summer of 1988 when we were uh, about to go to Europe for American Musicians Abroad. Oh dear! Yeah, that's a long time. Ago. We were young and, and... yeah. We were both high school students. Uh, That's when I was young and full of energy. An American honor band, concert band from the Mid-Atlantic going over to Europe for three weeks to play concerts. And we had no idea what we didn't know at that point, I suppose. I, I wish I could have appreciated it more because it's 16 years old to be able to see Venice I know. and Switzerland and Germany. I've got a shoebox full of pictures of cars mm -hmm. and of girls that like... You couldn't see here Mostly in the United States. Mostly the second States. category, though. Yeah, and but architecture, art. Oh yeah. None, like nothing. It's it's like it didn't even happen, and it's such a it's such a shame. 
I remember, I mean, I remember big things like, yes, we saw the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. We had approximately 37 minutes to see the Louvre yes, in its entirety. Yes, we ran through it. And Venice and the canals and, and the Alps. And But that said, it was a great experience. That company still... It's still doing it's it. It's still doing it. Yeah, so. American Musicians Abroad. In fact, in... Gosh, I want to say it was like 2001, 2002... Uh, I was supposed to be a conductor, and ah, I was supposed that, to go along and be a part of the con- the band director uh, colleague group that was all going to co-conduct the the concerts. Mm-hmm. And I ended up changing schools, and it didn't happen. And yeah, but that that organization is still alive and going strong. It's amazing, uh, and, and it's funny because I've I've worked with students that have done that tour uh, back in the nineties. Uh, some of the township kids, some of the Deptford kids, uh, we're talking about programs in southern New Jersey where I taught. The Garden State. The Garden State, yes. yes. I and love New Jersey. The, like it's really, yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff over there. It get, Jersey gets a bad rap when you're in the Philly suburbs for some reason. I know. But it, know. it shouldn't. But these kids but had the same stories we did. Like they saw the same thing. They stayed in the same little town called Dinkelsbühl, Germany, that yep. we stayed in. Um but yeah, three weeks, just a whirlwind. This is so, quite a trip down memory lane. I, I know. So that's that. how we're starting today. Okay. So Brian Tuck. Brian wears a lot of hats. You're always busy. And I think you're one of those people that's happiest when things are just constantly swirling around you. And you're in the center of it going, whoa. I don't know about that. So you're an attorney. <laughs> yes. Uh, you have a law practice called yes. Tuck Law Office. The one cool thing I want to mention about your practice, and we're not going to give out any legal advice on this uh, podcast episode, but I definitely encourage you and, and invite you to check out the, the Tuck Law Office website. Um, the cool thing about your site is that you have your different practice areas like arts and entertainment, banking, businesses, startups. And you work with some faith-based organizations and nonprofit, but then you have us carve out for marching and pageantry arts. I think that is bonkers. I think that's great. And you and you're working with some marching band associations. You're working with some ensembles, some band booster organizations. So t- talk a little bit about that. What do they use you for? My goal is to go as sub niche as humanly <laughs> possible. Well, so that really stemmed from. You know, I was a band kid just like yeah. you were, um, you know, in high school and, <clears throat> excuse me, and marched in the Crossman Drum and Bugle Corps for five years, way, way back, uh, 89 to 93, which is a heck of a long time ago. Um, especially <laughs> when I tell my students that, they look at me like I'm from the moon or I something. Know. But I started to, in my legal practice, which I'm almost coming up on year 20 now, which is hard to believe, uh, represent a lot of nonprofit organizations. My work with the marching arts and those ensembles really came from helping small nonprofits. And if you have a larger high school uh, ensemble, typically there's a, there is a band parent association uh, often people are, you know, people are very sophisticated now with this kind of thing, and they know that if they can get 501c3 status and become a tax exempt organization, well, then they their ability to raise money uh, increases greatly because now you can offer your donors a tax break, right, uh, for supporting the band trip or supporting, you know, we need to. You know, let's say we need to raise $15,000 for uh, some marimbas and vibraphones for the front. Right. Well, now you can go around to area businesses and, you know, some of the parents may be business owners or or are in a position to help financially. And, and you can give them the tax break because you organized yourself as a nonprofit corporation mm-hmm. and then you got tax exempt status uh, with the IRS. So. That's really how it started, primarily just through working with nonprofit organizations. And then once I realized, you know, there's really nobody in the professional services space talking to these groups. And they would often 
you know, when I would have initial conversations with, with booster organizations, they'd say, well, we're using an accountant, but he doesn't really understand what we do, or mm-hmm. we're trying to fill, you know, the paperwork out ourselves and, and are, are not sure of, of what to do because we can't find an attorney, you know, who gets us. Right. So just by virtue of, of growing up in that world and being a performer and then uh, being an attorney, I just kind of figured let's try to make all those threads, you know, tie them all together. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been interesting, um, you know, helping. I really enjoy helping nonprofits accomplish their mission. You know, more often than not, it's in the marching arts space. But uh, as you said, I have uh, some faith-based organizations that do some great work, uh, not only, you know, from a religious standpoint, but, you know, from a humanitarian standpoint, whether it's missions to, you know, Haiti or Dominican Republic or Costa Rica, you know, building, you know, building schools and and villages, uh, solid waste management, projects in some cases Mm -hmm. so it's when you're the thing i struggled with early in my legal career was you know essentially you help people move numbers from one column on a spreadsheet to another column on a spreadsheet you know assets to liabilities (laughs) liabilities to assets so you know which is great uh but and needed and needed yes got to keep the economy moving but i think helping uh helping arts organizations carry out the mission so you can make performances and productions happen is, is pretty, pretty cool. So I think uh, the one thing we share in common with us getting fans raised off the ground and getting, you know, entering into year two with that, uh, with that project, it's really when you get to get up every day and live your why a little bit better, you know, why am I doing this? Who am I helping? Uh, I think that really changes the game. You know, it no longer becomes a job at that point. Totally. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it was funny. You, you talked about that journey to nonprofit status. And I just uh, heard of something yesterday, and probably a lot of people don't realize this. Apparently, once you achieve that nonprofit status, there is a whole world that opens up to you in terms of not just the, you know, some of the tax benefits and, you know, some of the incentives to, you know, for people to donate to you, but I'd even heard that Google has some sort of a star, uh, nonprofit program. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it involves a monthly budget for AdWords to help promote your website. Yeah, I, I think as, as Generation X and Y, well, actually, let me back up. First of all, congratulations on, on fans raise. I think you really hit, <laughs> You really saw a need in the marketplace, in the fu- in the fundraising space, uh, that was not being served. And uh, you're exactly right that you know we're getting a little bit off into um, the startup world, but you know once you you know leave a job and and go build your own company or build your own project you you, it's like the old saying well if you find something you do you find something to do that you love and you never work a day right again in your life um since i launched my solo practice three years ago i have never once had that sort of sunday afternoon dread of like oh i gotta go into the office tomorrow and i I gotta deal with these people it's not work (laughs) it's so you're happy to get on the phone on a saturday morning or Right. You know, conference call mm-hmm. Sunday night or whatever you have to do because you're building something for, you know, for yourself, for your family, whomever you're, you're, you're taking care of. So, um, what were we talking about? I, so what, I went on that lengthy <laughs> so was, we were talking about how Google has some, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, some freebies out there. Yeah. I think as, as generation X and Y move into becoming the establishment. you know, the CEOs of big corporations, there's a very, it seems to me, this is just my personal opinion. There's a much stronger um, emphasis in that community of people on social responsibility 
And, you know, you hear the phrase, you know, social innovation or social mm-hmm. entrepreneurship now, right. which has become a very hot uh, topic of conversation in the last, you know, two or three years, I think, where people are trying to start businesses not to make a million dollars and, and you know, drive around in, in sports cars, but they're starting businesses to improve literacy mm-hmm. in their community or to help victims of, you know, uh, sexual violence or to help, uh, you know, environmental issues, clean air, clean water, that kind of thing. Right, right. So you're exactly right. Once you get, you know, if you have a nonprofit corporation and you get tax exempt status, you're exactly right. A lot of things open up to you that were not available before. Mm-hmm. And if companies can find a way to shift some value to you, not just write a check, but maybe they can provide what's called an in-kind contribution, meaning that they'll provide services. So in Google's, uh, in in the instance you just mentioned, uh, if anyone has a business and has done a Google AdWords campaign, uh, it can get very costly Mm -hmm. if, if, depending on what you want it want it to do and basically for those who don't know uh google adwords are magic words that you can sort of buy for lack of a better phrase so that when i go to google and i type in fundraising mid-atlantic or or whatever Mm -hmm. fans raise comes up on top of the search right uh results there's that that doesn't happen by accident a lot of those search results are engineered you know, financially or otherwise. Right. But uh, starting up a nonprofit is very, very tough. And starting one up in the art space is really difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's tough to find capitalization for new businesses unless you have like the next killer app. Mm-hmm. Like we just developed the next Angry Birds <laughs> or or something like that right. and you're going to down and you're going to download 10 million units in the in the next month. That's one thing. You can get people to throw money at that. Right. But you want to start a nonprofit in the art space for fundraising and get people to understand the importance of that and and it's so intangible. It's it's a much harder uh road to go down, I think. So having you know having companies that will give you in-kind contributions in terms of marketing support uh web development web hosting even you know you got to take whatever you can get to build to build the brand but yeah i mean it's definitely a better environment for this i think than it was even 10 years ago that's that's encouraging so you have a lot of irons in the fire from a i guess a day-to-day scheduling point of view so you're you've had a big role to play in the i guess the building and the development of the allentown jazz festival and Mm -hmm. uh the allentown film festival and we're we're referring to allentown pennsylvania uh for those of you there is an allentown in new jersey by the way there is and i think there's a couple others as well but you know it's the one that billy joel sang about uh also the kennett square pennsylvania jazz festival and you gig and you perform and you you get out there with your uh, uh, with the Brian Tuck complex and uh, and play a bit and I, I think that that really uh, it was interesting we talked about you know putting this together today um, you wear so many different hats uh, where you've got kids that are in your local music program um, you still teach mm-hmm. high school um, you have your I have, uh, a, I have a very understanding yes. wife <laughs> and kids is really what this boils down to. Yeah, this this means that we, we have uh, spouses that uh, allow us to, you know, have these, these different projects all going at the same time. Well, at least we're not down at the bar, like, you know, right. playing darts. Yeah, you know, it's not the bowling seven team. Seven days a week or you something. Know, kind of thing. <laughs> bowling league, like Homer Simpson. But, uh, so, but I, I think that it really does... Uh, allow you and I and I I kind of enjoy this as well being that you know I was a band director um, you know I've taught for a lot of years I've taught you know private lessons I've um, you know now I'm a band booster so I'm on the other side of that and uh, I understand what some of these organizations have to go through just to put a 
you know, let's say a marching band on the field or uh, a musical theater production on stage in the spring. I mean, it's these are Herculean tasks sometimes that uh, yeah. really often go unappreciated. The amount, yeah, the amount of time, if you've got a conscientious design team, um, you know, and just focusing on the high school level for now, um, whether it's an indoor program or, like you said, a musical theater production, uh, the time that goes into this, I, I, if, I don't think people, you know, parents or, or people that are music ed students right now that are about to become band directors, I don't think they really appreciate it until they're in it. Yeah. And then they go, oh, okay, we got a design call Sunday night for two hours, and right. then we're going to have 12 hours of instruction over the next week on top of everyone's jobs mm -hmm. and family obligations and and what have you. It, uh, it's pretty intense. That is a fact. Um, so let's turn the page a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about fundraising sure and let's talk about that i guess in the in the not-for-profit or performing arts world so in your travels you uh you you get it you're you're very fortunate in that you have a an opportunity to see a broader landscape of the performing arts community than a lot of people do uh, do you see or do you think there are opportunities for organizations to grow funding and are there areas in which you know, maybe are untapped or underutilized or um, are there opportunities out there? There are always opportunities out there. I think you're only limited by really two things. So let's say we're, you know, we're raising money for, you know, whatever it is, uh, any, any production. Mm -hmm. I mean, the things that are really are our constraints are leadership and creativity. So what I mean by that is if, and I know we'll talk about capital campaigns in a little bit, mm -hmm. but if you are, if you need to raise money, someone has to do it, preferably not the artistic director and preferably not the band directors because they already have their plates right. full. Mm -hmm. um, and this is really where it, the importance of parent engagement with the program and volunteerism becomes so important. I assure everybody that's listening in your high school parent group, you've got some go-getters, whether you realize it or not. And it's and the trick is to identify who those people are and then sort of empower them with a goal of, okay, we need, uh, you know, even if the fundraising goal, let's say it's twenty thousand uh, dollars, for for whatever reason, you know you have to empower those leaders to come up with a plan to raise the money and then let them execute the plan. And and if you look at sort of a more traditional, like a performing, uh, let's say it's a, a regional symphony, mm -hmm. you know you're going to have someone tasked with development, which is really what we're talking about. Right. Um, cultivating donors and building relationships. And then most importantly, you know, not to be crass about it, but the development person's job is to get people to write checks. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And you may have, you know, you may go on, you know, meetings with, with business leaders that are potential donors you may want to bring the the orchestra conductor along with you mm -hmm. or the concert master or mistress along with you to sort of put a face to what you're trying to do. I think in the high school space, you know, there are the traditional kinds of things that they do, like marchathons and, um, you know, things that kids can sell, whether they're usually food related for some reason <laughs> i'm not sure why high calorie content no, yeah, related no one's gonna items. say no to chocolate yeah sells pizza kits the uh, pies my yeah. my daughter's going to spain um with a choral group and you know one of their fundraisers was was chocolate were one of their fundraisers is i shouldn't say it in the past tense that they're you know they're selling chocolate bars for 
a dollar. Right. You know, and how many of those do you have to move? Right. <laughs> to get any kind of. They're doing it corporately in school between classes. Right. Uh, so out of sight. <laughs> well, you know, so you, you end up telling your, your, you know, family members end up telling her, well, I'll take 50. Well, what am I going to do with 50, you know, besides eat them, which is a terrible idea. Yes. You should never do that. Um, so I, I think, you know, there are those traditional things. And then, you know, people have dabbled with crowdfunding, you know, with Indiegogo and, and all those kinds of services, which really aren't built for for that purpose. Um, Kickstarter and Indiegogo, if you want to, if you're launching a, a, a web TV show or you're recording a record right. or project or a product, bring, it, even bringing a product to market. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's, those are really geared for those kinds of, of worlds, not for the marching space, right. which is why fans raises right, right product, right time. God, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think so. Well, it, it's funny too, because I think, um, you know, you talk about, you know, bringing, br allowing a face to come along, like bring, bring the concert master, bring the conductor, bring like, you know, as you do outreach, like maybe that's more on like a, a symphony, like a regional symphony mm -hmm. type of uh, level. I, I think that there are opportunities also for, uh, local organizations to do some of that and, and bring it back to the kids and bring it back to, hey, here's who you're, you'd be supporting. Um, right. The way we've built the fans raise model has really been student member centric where, you know, it's, it's primarily a marketing hub where we're sending out contextualized emails to potential donors that are brought to the platform by students. So you know, what, what, what better way to tell that story and bring it down to the student level than to have a crowdfunding campaign marketed directly at and targeted at uh, those potential donors that the student knows or has some contact with. So I think there's a lot of value in that. The other thing, um, real quick, back to what you were talking about, identifying your, your go-getters and your, your boosters or your parents' organization, I, there's something just jumped into my head uh, and I didn't want to miss a, a chance to bring it up. I have a band director friend. He's one of the only band directors that I know that's very, very active on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, as a social network, LinkedIn is typically not what you would think, uh, where a lot of band directors would probably hang out. You know, it's uh, right. It's, yep. it's more for the corporate you know, the Fortune 500, the more mainstream. It's for the corporate. man. It's for the establishment. Yes, for the man. Which right. we're trying to bring down. <laughs> <laughs> and band directors and, and uh, ensemble directors maybe more, you know, they're more uh, lurking in the shadows. I don't know. but And it turns out what he uses it for is not to network for his next job or not to read articles on what Warren Buffett or Bill Gates think. But what he does is he connects with his parents. And the reason he wants to connect with his parents is he now knows exactly where their skill competencies are, what they do for a living day to day. Very slick. Like, yeah. It's very slick. Mm -hmm. And now I know that Jimmy's dad, Jimmy plays trumpet in my band. Well, Jimmy's dad is a marketing director at, you know, the, this regional, um, you know, distributor of, of products. And, you know, he writes copy all day and he designs websites and he does this, he does that. And wow, that's all stuff we could use. And if you can engage those people in a way that's not um, overly burdensome, where they're going to get burned out, but let's let's take the case of of uh, Jimmy's dad. You know, well, maybe we need some content written for the for the ensemble website or show announcement or mm -hmm. fundraising letter. Right. You know, hey Jimmy's dad, can you give us thirty <laughs> minutes? Like, right. we need a three hundred word sort of marketing piece um and here's what we're trying to do mm -hmm. we're, we know i think the importance for band directors is recognizing limitations mm -hmm. knowing what you're good at what your strengths are and knowing what your weaknesses are and then cultivating your strengths and then finding other people to supplement the program with with 
you know, the things you're not good at. So maybe I'm not a particularly good, um, you know, maybe I don't have a great marketing mind, but, you know, this guy works for a national brand. So, mm -hmm. hey, what do you think about, you know, how do we do this? And you right. bring them in and you just make it easy for people to, uh, to help out. I think by and large, you know, of all the programs I've either been a an instructor uh, with at the high school level or have been around and observed, you know, I think by and large, all the parents want to help mm -hmm. somehow. And they don't, but at the same time, they don't want to work 20 hours a week. They either want to help out somehow or they want to teach. <laughs> yeah. got to watch this. You got to watch that. There's some guy that showed up who was a contra player for the cadets, I heard, and caused all kinds of <laughs> That's not me. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Uh, so what about, all right, so let's say I have an arts organization. And let, let's just use high school band mm -hmm. for uh, or high school music program sure. as an example. And I need $75,000 to replace very old, ancient aging equipment, much of which is older than the parents of the kids that <laughs> mm -hmm. are in the program. Right. So I have this giant need that the school district may or may not be in a position to help with in terms of bond referendums or budget or whatever. What's the most sensible place to start eating the elephant? We'll have to pull that out. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I might just leave it in. Just okay. To... <laughs> right. I'm trying to be polite over here, man. Okay. Um, well, the first thing, obviously, so we're going to assume for the sake of, of the discussion, we have a nonprofit corporation that the parents have formed, mm -hmm. and we've already obtained tax exempt status well, with the we'll IRS. We'll assume that, yeah. Um, which, are, which is a big assumption because if you're in a program, let's say we're in a program where we know that the parent organization is going to be a six figure entity and there's there are a lot more of them out there than yep. you may you might think mm -hmm. i'm looking at you texas band booster well and, and right, <laughs> right here in pa and sure. and, yeah. in New Jersey, and in new jersey um if you are going to become if you're applying for tax exempt status for an organization of that size it can take four to six months from the time you start the the irs forms called a form 1023 um that you complete you have to attach your bylaws. You have to disclose a, a whole bunch of stuff uh, that's legal ease people um, and provide a lot of narrative content about what you're doing, where the dollars are going. Are you offering scholarships? If so, what are the criteria mm -hmm. for offering those scholarships? There's, my point is there's a lot that goes into it. You send this 1023 off to the IRS. It goes to their exempt organization's office in Cincinnati, Ohio where uh, the, the attorneys that work in that office are tasked with reading all of these things. So by the time they can get through it, they may have questions. They're going to send you a letter, snail mail, that, that has of course. certain questions. You have to provide a written response. Um, and it can take quite a long time. Mm -hmm. So in your planning cycle, if you're a band parent organization that has a nonprofit corporation already, but wants to obtain tax exempt status, you really have to focus on on getting your 1023 submitted fast because you may not really be effective as a fundraiser until the following season. Right. Once you get your determination letter from the IRS that says yes, you're tax exempt. So, so that's a long wind up. I apologize, but <laughs> we, need, we needed to get that out. So you're saying that just to really do it right, to do it well. You really have to go at this with that nonprofit tax exempt status. Well, well, yeah, because tax exempt status, you know, foundations and and corporate, you know, if cor corporations and foundations, you know, they will want to see your determination letter before they write a check because they don't get the tax break. So, 
that's key. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You have, you have to have that. It also opens up um, the, the EITC program, which is the Earned Income Tax Credit Program, which, which corporations you know, have a certain allocation of tax credits available to them that they can assign to your organization. So they're not actually writing a check, but it does result in dollars coming to you. But you gotta, you have to jump through their hoops. And every corporation right. has a slightly different, um, has a slightly different protocol for that. But again, to get access to those EITC dollars, if you're not a five hundred one tax exempt organization, you're you're not going to get it. Right. So so if we're trying to raise seventy five thousand dollars. We have to be tax exempt over under five hundred one c. No, no, no question about it. Okay. Um, help me. Uh, where? Yeah. So I, so I got we're, so we're far assuming that that's all taken place. Yes. And that that all those I's are dotted and T's mm-hmm. are crossed. What about a group that just wants that needs that seventy five thousand dollars, but they are either ill equipped or just need to embark on something maybe local grassroots before that all takes place? Well, I think it comes back to leadership. And in every community, there's a handful of people that can get things done. And I, and I don't mean that in a back room, you know, cigar smoke filled room way. I mean, in any community, when the local United Way needs to raise a million dollars. There's somebody, there's a very short list of people that get that phone call. Might be the president of the biggest construction company in town. Could be the person who was the president of the Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. that just, you know, the just served last year and now they have some time. You have to figure out who those people are. Okay. So if you're in a town of, um, you know, let's take, so we're, we're in, uh, Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, which uh, has a population of about 5,000 people. And, uh, you know, it's a small, you know, your you're prototypical small town America. If I'm raising $75,000 in this town just by networking with, you know, the president of the Chamber of Commerce is somebody I'd like to talk to. Mm-hmm. The president of the Main Street Association is another person. Mm-hmm. And every every town has one of these associations. It's um, Main Street Associations in Pennsylvania, at least, are, are generally like the Main Street Merchants Associations. Okay. Every town's got one. They're, I, the, they're the unofficial mayor. <laughs> in my experience, if you want to find out who can make something happen for you. You check there. You you just say, Hey, can I buy you a coffee? I have a, I have a project for the high, you know, I'm trying to raise money for the high school. You know, nobody's going to say no to that. Sure. That's worth a cup of coffee. And you're not asking that person to write a check, but you're saying, here's our, here's our dilemma Mm -hmm. or here's our goal. And who do you think would be best positioned to help lead us to the goal? Right. And you're going to get a couple of names and then, but all this groundwork is, is needs to be done. I think, you know, for a number like $75,000, unless you're in a super affluent school district, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get that from just from the parents. You need the business community engagement. Um, There are also foundations out there that will, will help you. You just have to find ones that are predisposed to funding arts organizations, mm-hmm. and specifically that are that are tied, you know, tied to educational goals. Okay. Um, if you try to get the United Way to give you, I'm not. I don't know why I'm picking on the United Way today. But <laughs> they do great work. Um, you know, that's not their mission. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the American Heart Association. They've got a specific thing that they do so you just need to find the the kinds of foundations that will be able to help and your 
inner circle, your president of the Chamber of Commerce, your Main Street manager, your, um, you know, your, let's see, who else would be a good, you know, the mayor's office if mm -hmm. you're in a town that has a mayor. Right. You know, ask for help. There's nothing wrong with it. And you may fall into some relationship with a a donor that you never would have would have thought of otherwise sure. so and, and i would assume that it's not the band director that's the one trying to make these overtures to these individual contacts this would be somebody precisely from the boosters or correct yeah this is the president of your booster association or someone you know asking people for money is not easy a mm -hmm. lot of people you know you know, you run into people that, um, you know, that will say, well, I could never do sales because I don't, I don't take rejection well or right. something like that. And that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a numbers game. And if you're, if, if you know you need three donors, you probably need to make 50 calls. You're going to get 47 no's or no responses at all. Right. And you just keep moving on and you get one. And then once you get one, that's the hardest one. Nobody wants to be the first one into the pool, mm -hmm. right? Like, so if you get, let's say we're, we're on our road to 75,000 and um, the, you know, the mushroom growers of Kennett Square, I don't know even if there is such a thing, but- uh, There's gotta be. There's gotta be. Right. Um, let's say their foundation gives us $5,000. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we're in business because now we're not going into these meetings empty handed. We can go, well, you know, this group is on board. These people just committed 3000 bucks, whatever it is. Right. And it's like everything else. Once you have a little bit of momentum, it helps push you forward. And the more donors you get, the more you acquire. Mm -hmm. So getting started is the hardest part. Um, having the right people make those calls is absolutely key. And like you said, you know, nothing against band directors at all. I know how busy those people are. Mm -hmm. They're running their indoor program. They've got honors band concerts. They may have the local TV station wants them to do an, uh, uh, an appearance at the Eagles Cough, pep rally. At the Eagles pep <laughs> rally. So now they got to mobilize everybody right. and get the uniforms clean. They got to get the band parents to come in and help hand out shoes and hats right. and whatever else. And I should just mention, just depending on when you're listening to this podcast episode, the Eagles are actually in the Super Bowl. But we'll move on. They will have won the Super Bowl. Yeah, by the time, by you, the time you by the time this, you listen to this, think, probably maybe. And, and hopefully. <laughs> The beginning of the end of the Patriots <laughs> evil empire. Uh, but we're going to, we don't want to offend our, our New England programs. You know, it's funny. One of the things that we're in the fans raise world, one of the things that I've been, I hate to use the word preaching, is to try to put some, uh, what I'm calling force multipliers into effect for their campaign. So you have all these kids that are contributing 20 email contacts into the platform and you build the, the donation page and we send out the emails to those donor lists and we start to generate revenue, you're going to run up a, a, a surprisingly large number of donations. So some of those donations may only be $10, $20. I think our average donation is actually a little closer to 50, but you do get some small ones in. And one of the things that we're really suggesting that groups look at is go to your local businesses go to the pizza places, go to the car washes, go to those business owners that maybe advertise in your program book, or they give you a little business card sized ad for your all school musical. Go to those groups and say, hey, look, we're doing this crowdfunding campaign. It's, uh, it's all online. We wanted to ask you for every donation that we get, would you kick in a, you know, a couple bucks, maybe five bucks, and, yeah. and maybe we'll cap your exposure at, oh, I don't know, eight hundred dollars a thousand dollars if we get that far would, would we would you be open to that and you, i mean all of a sudden you get let's say your campaign raises twenty thousand dollars but it took you you know a couple hundred donations to get there like that's a significant amount of additional money that would have come in had it not been for that request match matching gifts are a great way to 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 tackle that um you know you may have foundations that that will be into that. And it, it, some foundations like to do that because it shows that the 
person making the request is working hard. So mm-hmm. you may not get an outright, um, you know, back to our project. So, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, let's say ABC Foundation says to us, okay, we're not going to write you a check outright, but we're going to match every dollar you bring in up to $5,000. Now you've created this perceived urgency, not perceived, I guess it's real urgency. Oh, yeah. When you go to the parents and say, okay, for every dollar you kick in, ABC Foundation will also kick in, will match you dollar for dollar. Another thing to think about also with your parents and other don't forget parents, other donors um, in your in your platform is that a lot of corporations match still mm-hmm. some of the some of the bigger ones do. So, um, I mean, I can think of a few. I don't want to name any names, but if you can get your donors, whether they're parents, uncles, brothers, sisters, you know, whatever the relationship is to the student, uh, to check with their employer, they might they might match your donation. Mm-hmm. But again, you've got to be a tax exempt 99 times out of a hundred. Mm-hmm. That only works if it's a 501 C three tax exempt organization. So, um, that's a great way to make a $250 give turn into 500 mm-hmm. magically. Yeah. So that's something, you know, and it's, I'm glad you mentioned that cause that's something that not a lot of organizations, put enough emphasis on, I mean, it's free money. Once you get the donor to, to kick in, the amount of effort um, to get the corporate match is minimal. Right. So why not, why not go for it? Fantastic. Well, um, anything else you want to add in closing? I think we've covered a lot of ground here. I apologize to your listeners in the New England area for my... <laughs> Intransigence. We're, we're we're going to walk back the Patriots comment. Huh? We're excited. Oh, look, we are. Excited. We're excited. We don't. We don't. Haven't we don't been enjoy in the super... this opportunity often. Well, and it wasn't supposed to happen. No. Either this was a ten and six team, nine and seven, maybe. Yeah. The 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 Eagles. I mean, so, um, it's been a very improbable series of events that have yeah. that have led us here. And I, so I think you're. Uh... You know the perception of the you know Philadelphia fan base being the way it is. I'm sure a lot of people are sometimes a little I don't know incredulous in terms of uh, how reasonable we can be. Uh, but but I, it's I, I'm, not as I'm, bad as the national press. No, it's would, nowhere near as bad. Would as have you believe the portrayal? But uh, I, I think that on on the whole, um, we're probably as surprised and as yeah, we're as surprised <laughs> as you guys are. Who knew? <laughs> So, all right. Well, great. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Um, anything you got coming up or anything you're working on that, uh, I, let's see, is there anything I have working? I've, uh, actually the thing I'm most excited about right now, uh, is I've been working on, I've been working on a book. I started it about a year ago and then it sat for a long time and I finally picked it up. Um, but it's it's a business book. It's uh, a survival guide. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm having a hard time today. God. <laughs> In any event, uh, the book's called Risk, Create, Change, a survival guide for startups and creators. It's going to be on sale um, March 1. And it's an easy read. It's meant to be a, a reference that you can pick up and read chapter two or read, read it out of order if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it covers essentially if you're, if you are a creator that you work in film or TV or music or theater or the visual arts, or you're a web developer, let's say, uh, the digital arts, or if you're an entrepreneur in any industry, th- hopefully this book will give you everything you need to know in the initial stages to get started. Just get out of the gate. Do I form a corporation? Do I form a limited liability company? Um, how do I write a business plan? What are the components of a business plan? How do I pitch my idea to investors? Um, what, you know, are there some public speaking skills I should know? Are there some written speaking skills I should know? I mean, all those things are in there. 
Um, it's a quick read, and uh, like I said, it'll be on sale March 1, and it'll be uh, – anybody who's written a book knows it's just a relief to get it yes. done and proofed and out, and then you can start thinking <laughs> about the next one, I guess. So. That's really cool. That's great. Uh, website again? The website is tucklaw.com, T-U-K-L-A-W.com, and um, – like I, I, I try to create a lot of content for, for people that's totally free that, you know, hopefully, um, you know, gives them some guidance, uh, generally with commercial transactions or fundraising or startups or nonprofit issues. Um, and it's, it's, you know, just like you, I mean, it's not work. It's, right. it's just, I, it just you do is. it because you do it. It and just that's is. What you are. Exactly. Right. All right. Well, thanks again. My pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Thanks. All right, buddy. You got it. So that was an awful lot of fun to finally get a chance to sit down and talk real time with Brian. Uh, he's one of those guys that I just typically uh, end up trading a lot of emails with or texts. And um, I know I knew his point of view on, on a few of these points. And so I... I didn't really prep him a lot before the interview, knowing some of the directions that he would probably be taking with his answers. And I wasn't wrong, but uh, it is kind of neat to to have some of those thoughts and ideas emanate out. So uh, we appreciate uh, Brian's time. And uh, again, I can't highly recommend him enough if you are in the creative arts or the performing arts or the nonprofit space, if you're looking for guidance if you're looking for some sort of formation help, uh, nonprofit status, tax advice, financial, uh, he is just a, an unbelievable resource and uh, priced right for a lot of organizations as well. So uh, tucklaw.com. Anyway, that's all for now. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're going to be back soon with another episode. So stay tuned. Don't forget to subscribe either on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever you tend to get your podcast stuff. Uh, You'll be able to find us there. Thanks. See you later.